0: Today, the CDC announced that most Americans live in places where healthy people can go without wearing masks indoors. The guidelines focus more on what's happening at hospitals and less on positive test results. Under the new
1: guidelines, most Americans and most of the country can now go mask
2: free. And based on projections, everybody's got an opinion about this topic. Um, What's what's yours? (laughs) I just know people are tired and the scarlet letter of this pandemic is the mask. It may be painless, it may be easy, but it's inconvenient, it's annoying and it, it rem- and it reminds us that we're in the middle of a pandemic.
3: Welcome to the Death Panel. To support the show and get access to all our weekly bonus episodes, become a patron at patreon.com slash Pod. This week, our patron episode was a really great conversation with the three of us and Jules Gil-Peterson, author of Histories of the Transgender Child. And we discussed the recent attacks on trans life and personhood by the state of Texas. And you've got to listen to the end to hear Jules's impromptu sermon, because it's great. Anyways, it's a must-listen and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We could not do any of this without you. So if you want to become one of those people who help support our work here on Death Panel and you want to support the hours of research that goes into making episodes like this one that you're about to hear, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. To help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism, and request it at your local library. And of course, you can follow us at deathpanel underscore. Moving on to today's episode, Artie, Phil, and I are here, and we're going to be talking in depth today about the newest changes to the CDC's masking guidelines and what this might mean for workers, high-risk and medically vulnerable people, and the family, housemates, coworkers, neighbors, and friends of the immunocompromised.
2: And I think what it means in terms of the putative end of the pandemic that we've been talking about, will they, won't they declare and I think the answer it was is
0: mission accomplished
2: Is right. it it's like well, it's just
0: different iterations there are
2: so many ways to say mission accomplished really <laughs> and I think this is one of them which we'll get into that's right
0: right
3: and just to contextualize where the United States is right now with COVID-19 in the first two months of 2022 over 120,000 Americans have died of COVID and nearly 2,000 deaths were reported yesterday meaning about 40 people died from COVID every 30 minutes Um, And that's not all unvaccinated people. That is also high risk people dying from breakthrough infections, too. But on Friday, February 25th, CDC director Rochelle Walensky announced that the CDC was, quote, updating its framework to monitor the level of COVID-19 and communities. And this new framework created new risk categories with recommendations for communities and for individuals under each category. And the CDC didn't just change what NPIs are recommended at each level of transmission. They also changed what low, medium and high levels of community transmission even means. The metrics that we use to determine what level of risk a county is are different now than they were before. It
0: feels like they were listening to death panels, (laughs) hypotheses about the ways they could do this as a recipe book. I hate to say.
2: Yeah. Maybe we've done some violence in the world by just predicting what the obvious trajectory (laughs) of of their actions (laughs) is going to be.
0: Yeah. Right. No.
3: And I mean, in terms of response to these new recommendations, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, quote, this feels like it came out of nowhere or, you know, this doesn't make sense or this contradicts the idea that I think a lot of people had about what the Biden administration was going to do about COVID. It feels a lot more Trump era than it does um, anything else. But ultimately, as we've talked about this show at great length, this has been a long process and has been in the works many months and it's just sort of the latest push towards normalization but these new recommendations they they are contradictory they are inadequate they are stigmatizing to the medically vulnerable they're confusing and misleading and, you know, while some people have been celebrating it, that's namely people who have been calling for policies like this all along, like conservative think tank funded Great Barrington Declaration, who really saw this as a major, yeah, they a did major a victory
2: lap uh, yeah. over this on Twitter, saying like, oh, wow, they they finally they actually the, their main thing was like, oh, wow, they're finally uh, the CDC is acknowledging the role of natural infection, et cetera. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, this was a huge win for their focus protection strategy that they've been pushing since October 2020. But other than the ghouls saying, let it rip, it's mostly been anger, frustration, confusion, despair and dismay in response to these guidelines.
2: Yeah. And actually, if you guys don't mind, do you, do you mind if I take a stab at kind of doing an overview in sort of layman's terms yeah. of what happened here. Yeah. Cool. Uh,
0: cause this is really, this seems like important because just to like set the, the groundwork for this, like this change is so significant. Like this is the, it's not just merely like saying like mission accomplished, like this change, like really has force in the world. There are all kinds of organizations all over the country that are right now because of this change, which is undergirded by what you're going to talk about, just like really going full bore into end of the pandemic, no more masks, et cetera. So, but the reason that they're doing is because of this sleight of hand that you're, that Artie's going to talk about.
2: Exactly. This is really important because for instance, you may have, you know, if you're really checked into Twitter or something, you may have seen for example some of the side-by-side photos of so this is what the map looked like yesterday and it's a big glaring red outline of the United States right and then this is what the map looks like today and it's you know it it peaks at orange it's uh you know threat level low basically um greatest hits of the war on terror back to (laughs) just back in action here um but what we want to get into today is not only sort of what that actually means. Cause it's pretty, I think seeing those two things side by side is like pretty self makes it self evident. I think that it's like there was some, you know, they really, they just changed how they're counting. Right. Basically. They shifted the but scale. Also, right. But also, um, it's important to talk about exactly how mm-hmm. they did that. And I think I actually really like, before I get into how exactly they did it, I really like a way that friend of the panel, Nate Holdren specifically explained this, uh, which is by analogy, saying it's sort of like, if you extend a very improper metaphor to something like drunk driving, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if the old system was saying, you know, hey, friend, you've had a little too much to drink. Let me call you a cab, right? The new system is sort of like saying, hey, friend, you've had a lot to drink. Let me Google how many open hospital beds (laughs) there are in your area real quick before you go ahead and just drive home. Uh, Right? That's basically what We're about to get into. And I think that's um, all I might return to that because I think that's a good way to think about it. So, okay, what they did, what they announced on Friday, essentially, was not just, oh, we we say it is no longer time to do masking for 70 percent of Americans or whatever. Right. They what they announced was essentially that they have changed their metrics about how they evaluate what the overall COVID sort of threat or risk level is in a particular county. They have changed it from what was previously called community transmission level to a new metric, which is an entire creation, new sort of like data creation of the state, which is called community level. So this distinction, community transmission level versus community level, you know, is one that might seem at first glance like pointless and stupid or like a minor quibble about language or phrasing. But I would argue that the, you know, the relation of like community level to community transmission level is, it seems like a pretty blatant obfuscation there. Mm-hmm. It's like a pretty deliberate, I would, I'm, I'm making an assumption here that it is like intentionally confusing because it's meant to sound like the other one, right? right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that's really important. And the, and the other thing is like, it's, it sounds like the same thing, but this is a, a new metric, which is m- much more complicated and really I think a sort of more theory laden right. uh, metric. There's a lot of different assumptions about the state of the world that are piled into this metric. Whereas the 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 earlier one sort of captured something that was like pretty easy to observe as long as you're like doing testing. Right. This one is like uh, explain it because it's really assumption dependent.
2: Right, and this is exactly what I wanted to get into. So, OK, so the old metric community transmission level. Mm-hmm. Right. But un, until last Friday. Right. Yeah, how did we, we went measure by before? a metric called community transmission level. And I'm not going to even want to start with what that meant in terms of case numbers overall. What I will say is that community transmission level was relatively straightforward. It is what it says on the box, the level of community transmission
0: in a mm-hmm. particular
2: community, bearing in mind that in the first place, calling a U.S. county a community is tortured language at best. Now... <laughs> right yeah <laughs> that's what it used to be it was straight up how transmission. Many cases? cases right
3: how many people are case sick? numbers right
2: uh not even how many people are No. Sick. how many case people are positive numbers. how many people have a positive test um per one hundred thousand? and that set uh barriers that we'll talk about to like you know what became uh you know up to high threat level uh and down to low now so that's what it used to be you know the cdc would get data from a host of local and national databases get reported case numbers stuff like that even with all the problems attendant with the u.s system issues getting tests covered by an insurer states making intentional decisions to disrupt or delay case reporting or to do it intermittently (laughs) ultimately you end up with a pretty accurate picture of like how much spread is happening the side effect of that is of course Because spread is fucking out of control, you end up with a pretty uh, embarrassing picture because, as I mentioned before, like your map of the United States and the sort of threat level looks like an outline of the U.S. that like you've taken the fucking, you know, MS paint bucket fill and filled it in red. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And that looks bad for you if you're in the government, especially when you're in the government and other members of your party that you're affiliated with are actively dropping mask mandates and your polling firm impact research is telling you it is time to drop the pandemic. (laughs) Now, by contrast, what is community level? So that was community transmission level. Again, very similar stuff. So the new metric, community level, automatically less straightforward. So I will quote directly from the CDC here. Quote, a community's COVID-19 level aka the community level, is determined by a combination of three pieces of information. New hospitalizations for COVID-19, current hospital beds occupied by COVID-19 patients or hospital capacity, and new COVID-19 cases. These metrics will tell us if the level is low, medium, or high. So we already have, let's say it's almost a little too on the nose that the (laughs) CDC elected to call its new metric... The same thing, except for they dropped the word transmission right. so community transmission level to community level, you drop one word transmission. The case metrics are still there, right, but they are downplayed. Notice that they are now a significantly reduced part of the story because you have these other two things we'll We'll get into that more in a second, but first off, just think about the two things that are added to this calculation: one is new hospitalizations mm-hmm. right. You're also looking then at two current hospital beds occupied by COVID-19 patients or hospital capacity. Both
3: lagging indicators. Both
2: lagging indicators. Yeah. But these also imply sort of what we've warned about for a long time, that they are wanting to shift some of the focus off of cases and actual transmission, which helps prevent people getting to the point of being sick in the first place and towards like what is the prevalence of severe. Right, right disease, Uh, which also I would say, like, you know, accepts kind of a pandemic of the unvaccinated framework, essentially, because you're sort of assuming that like that the people who are getting sick, despite the fact that we have now, uh, even with shitty reporting metrics, we now know of at least like 50,000 confirmed breakthrough deaths. So Mm -hmm. so uh, so anyway, here's the problem. If we compare these metrics in just an abstract sense, right, Mm -hmm. before we even get into how deliberately they're waiting these metrics, the new metrics like cases, uh, not just cases, but also hospitalizations and hospital capacity. The past metric, again, was based on overall transmission, therefore basing mitigations that we are actively promoting layered interventions, layered NPIs uh, that we talked about before that essentially like things like masking or as we would argue, which the CDC is nowhere near um, paying people to stay home or whatever, functionally increases, quote unquote, vaccine efficacy, right? Because you're layering things on right. top of it. So we you know, previously were basing our mitigations on this one very important thing, which is trying to reduce as much as possible the ongoing transmission and spread of the virus doing so, knowing that spread has huge consequences in terms of ongoing death, disability and debility from COVID-19. The new metric now spread itself takes a backseat mm-hmm. um, to the point that mm. as Wes uh, at WSBGNL has pointed out prior to the new guidelines, under the old metrics, under the uh, community transmission model, there were previously 47 counties rated low mm-hmm. in in the U.S. Under the new metric, there are now 742 <laughs> counties rated okay. low. So that's uh, you know again, this is another way to explain the, the sort the scale, of like map yeah. scale. For instance, also under the old metric. For,
0: for just like there are 3,000 count, 3,000 ish counties in the country. Right. Total.
2: Uh, that's important, too, because of those 3,000 counties under the old metric, 2,648 of them were previously oh. rated high.
3: How many now?
2: Now there are 1,200. Jesus. Which is still a lot
3: that sounds like a lot to be like lifting um masks at anyways you know what i mean like even if even if no other changes right because right
2: and that's the important (laughs) thing because the really important thing as we've sort of mentioned before is the only level now where the cdc says masking is recommended is at high and that includes for immunocompromised people because at medium it is consult your physician like that immunocompromised people should consult. well
0: we're, we're we'll going to yeah. we'll get into that get into that but can i yeah, go can ahead. i ask a question um so obviously like the important thing to note just from your comparison is that the basics of the epidemiological situation have not changed absolutely not 100% like they have not yeah. changed the community transmission is still what it was a few days ago mm-hmm. uh it is uh, no different uh, but the standard that the CDC is using to make its guidelines has has changed now my question and and I think you've looked into this deeper than I have do they provide i mean so that's a very theory laden change in 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 you know metrology right um do they provide any explanation of why that is a you know, warranted change, because I think to me, the way that most pe- people would read that, uh, the way that that scans is that that is a change in the epidemiological situation. Right. 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 Like that. That's so it's sort of like the same thing where, like, um, you know, they don't change the poverty, you know, they they don't <laughs> right. um, they, they should uh, change the way that we measure poverty. Like they the way that we measure it. There are far fewer in people like, quote unquote, in poverty than are actually given what we know about the the economy. It's based on a very outdated understanding of how like household budgets work. Right. Um, but the, the worry that policymakers always have, right. Is if they change the poverty measure to more accurately reflect poverty in the world, that people will think that poverty increased on that presidential administration's watch. Right. And they can't have that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so in the very same way, this n- change in measure while it is in fact theory laden, um, and reflects a different approach to thinking about, um, the virus, that rather than any re- different reflection of the epidemiological situation, people will read it as we won, right, um, and everything is is better now. You know, regardless of the fact that, like, you know, reality is is uh, you know, tenaciously resists these you know attempts to to change. Uh, the metrics and and have people go along. But uh, I, so how does the CDC explain like that move? What's their justification for it? So
2: what Rochelle Walensky says in (laughs) her, um, I think they very wisely uh, did this as opposed to weirdly, you know, usually when this stuff is announced, it is announced uh, in a COVID-19, a specific COVID-19 white house briefing uh press briefing which is something that they regularly do with like walensky fauci and uh jeff zients the uh hedge fund guy who runs our coronavirus response usually they do that instead they did this uh they did it as like a, a conference call basically a recorded public conference call but it's interesting that you know anyway in this conference call where they announced this essentially where there's my my point being it's not the way that they usually do this and it's and they did it it seems like I don't know. There's not a video around of Walensky saying the stuff. But anyway, Walensky says that the justification for this is that, um, quote, we are in a stronger place today as a nation with more tools to protect ourselves in our communities from COVID-19 with widespread population immunity, whatever that means. (laughs) Uh, I mean, and by whatever that means, I mean, that's... uh, that's doing a lot of work as an assumption. Um, the overall risk of severe disease is now generally lower. Wait, to
0: clarify, are they saying that we're all immune? They're saying, the, they the, saying argument, we're immune? the
2: argument is that we can move to this new metric because more people generally are protected. Basically, it's this is kind of why I say the whole thing is undergirded by the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Right. Line. And the, I have I have more to say because this is what they say. I do have more to say about this, because this is what they say about it, that like, oh, we're, you know, we're moving to this new phase where we can kind of simply focus on protecting the vulnerable, which some of the stuff we'll talk about at the at the end with Biden's disability plan will kind of refute Mm -hmm. uh, some of that. But like, while that's what they say, I think actually when I get to the the sort of part about how these metrics are actually weighted and calculated against each other, I think that it will become really clear what they're sort of actually doing.
1: Right.
3: Right. Right. well, and I mean, I think it's also worth pointing out that something that very blatantly contradicts Wolinsky's framing in this press release is something she said only a couple of days prior, on February twenty-first, on the uh, Andy Slavitt in the Bubble podcast, where she said, really, kind of like the motivation was that masks had become a scarlet letter symbol <laughs> of the pandemic. Yeah, but what they're framing it as is that you know enough people became infected during omicron um that they feel it's like time to just move forward right and time to reopen and they're saying we're going to keep the vulnerable people safe don't worry about them (laughs) and ultimately nothing is any different today than it was a week ago
2: right except for they've changed the framework right they well they've introduced a new way to think about it right which is what a framework is and they're using the
3: word framework because they're trying to get you to rethink how you're thinking about what they're doing about the pandemic think, and right. they're think very clear as about as that.
2: As think Steve. different if you will <laughs> yes. um well exactly so i think i think we all kind of see where this is going and that's why i want to uh ground a little bit of this in being really specific about how they're weighting it too because if you look at how they're actually how they are weighting these things it's a big problem it's i mean a lot of public health experts have pointed this out on Twitter in the last week. So I will just, you know, repeat what they say. It's basically like, you know, the CDC isn't even kind of pretending to make this totally about regular principles in public health now it's it really just seems like, I don't know, lowering expectations or something like that or lowering the perceived impact or something. Anyway, um so we have we have these three things, right? So to to sort of jump back in to the explanation, we have previously we had community transmission level. Now there is CDC's New metric for its understanding of the threat level, which is community level. Again, that is a determination based on case numbers, new hospital admissions, and hospital capacity. And as I mentioned, if you just simply look at the map, you can tell that because by the case metric, before by, mm-hmm. by what the case metric the community transmission level the previous metric uh, showed before you can tell the cases have been deprioritized in the weighting of it simply based on a visual right just because it used to be red now it's like what but you know whatever right. it's, it's like lo- looser but when you then look into uh how this is determined this gets really confusing And I'm going to try and explain this as clearly and cleanly as I possibly can. So the CDC says, quote, COVID-19 community level is determined by the higher of the inpatient beds and new admission indicators based on the current level of new cases per 100,000 population in the past seven days. In other words, (laughs) it takes the higher of the two metrics, the two other metrics that have just been introduced into the situation, which is new hospital admissions and, um, and hospital capacity. and by, you know, higher of hospital capacity, I mean, like, you know, higher burden on hospital capacity. It takes the, the higher of those two metrics. And then it looks it checks that against where cases are mm. in that county, the rate of transmission in that county. And then it makes its determination, you know, it, it tells you where you are on the chart. What that looks like, basically, is that what, what has happened here is they actually they have a helpful chart, I'll probably post this in the server, but it's, uh, it's, pretty easily accessible on the CDC's website. If you look, for instance, in their PDF slideshow talking about this, what you, what you see is that it, essentially this is weighted in such a way so that until the point that you have about 200 cases per 100,000 population, right, per 100,000 people, until the point that you have 200 cases per 100,000 people, you essentially are only making the determination of whether a county is low medium or high based on the hospital capacity that's it only so so to to make that uh to to make that really explicit it's sort of like let's say your you know your hospital capacity is going low well then they check that against what the case level is if it's less than 200 per 100,000 people uh, in that county, then basically the the case numbers don't affect it. If it's over 200 cases per 100,000 people, then it kind of bumps it up a notch. So a, a county could go from low to medium, medium to high, et cetera, based on that threshold. Now, you know, again, I know that might sound rather abstract, but bear in mind, the really important thing to know about this thing in particular is basically what this is saying, effectively, what this is saying is until you pass case threshold of 200 plus cases per 100,000 people in a county cases do not matter transmission just to, just does say, not that's, matter
3: that's twice the former right. high level
2: and this is exactly what i was right. getting to so previously high itself started at 100 cases per 100,000 in other words again high under the old model, a to have a county rated high transmission or you know high COVID nineteen risk, the threshold for cases was 100 per 100, In a hundred per one hundred thousand, and now that does Ridge. not even move the fucking needle. Yeah, that does nothing until you double it and get to two hundred or more cases per one hundred thousand, well, and then.
3: You go into medium.
2: You
0: go into like. And can medium. I? Yeah, go for it. Can I add one more? There's one more wrinkle here which we haven't talked about yet, and I, I think that this will have an important effect on the implications of this strategy. So, in addition to changing the metrics, the CDC, following the other major public health organizations, the state and territorial epidemiologists, um, the uh, state and territorial health officers and and so on they've now abandoned the recommendation for universal contact tracing right. and uh, case investigation so you know one, like the, the, this is cha- like the, the metrics are changing but the other thing that's changing is the whole testing regime and apparatus so in addition to Adopting a much higher bar for what counts as like a, an epidemiologically worrisome situation, which, by the way, is is not reflective of an epidemiologically uh, worsening situation. Is you know would be far lower than that. Um, they're also now, I, I think, expecting that the technology that we would use to even register those things is going to go away. So I mean, yeah, it, you know, I or be reduced. So when least, I say yeah. When I say that, like, and I think when when we've said in the past, you know, year or whatever, that like the pandemic will be ending sociologically in this way, it's not hyperbolic. It, it's actually an attempt to be fairly descriptive about how these things work, how the data becomes official statistics, which becomes these representations of the world that we see in the newspaper, on TV, yeah. you know, in, in these maps you change the uh, standards for the way that you are coloring the data and the heuristics people have that does one thing Uh, you loosen the recommendations for uh, testing, contact tracing case investigation. And that further allows the pandemic to recede because the data that would be there to produce uh, a sociological sense that it exists gradually disappears. It doesn't disappear all at once, but gradually um, it allows people to believe regardless of what conditions are, things are getting better. There will be, I think it's reasonable to suspect isolated moments where something, you know, something terrible happens, but it's seen as sporadic, stochastic, and ultimately not within the scope of the variables the government has any control over. And so it's hard for me to think of a uh, a better example of, like, governance in the neoliberal mode <laughs> than this, yeah. right? Is to say, okay, uh, we have this problem out there. We have previously been you know, government has sort of been on the hook for it, but because, you know, for a variety of reasons, we've got to move back to austerity because of inflation for, you know, like um, and, you know, because people are quote unquote, like tired of it, which we can get into the fact that like a lot of this seems to be driven by like opinion polling within the white house that are like, if, if the pandemic goes on too long, like you know, there's no way that you're going to win. Like that's, that's the sort of uh, conclusion that, you know, it, the, the logical strategy that emerges here is to change the metrics, uh, relax the sort of data regime that produced case information in the first place, and then magically the pandemic doesn't disappear, but it becomes somebody else's problem.
2: Yeah. I think it's pretty explicit. I, I think that the the reason to really you know dwell on this document and this exact this kind of you know again pretty nuanced if kind of blatant change is to say you know this is how this this is how you produce the pandemic becoming uh, somebody else's problem. Um, by the CDC's own admission of the document that they uh, put out, they say, for example, "quote data on new cases now acts as a early warning indicator." <laughs> of potential increases in health system strain in the event of a COVID-19 surge so even in that they are by its own by the CDC's own admission cases are now an indicator of towards again hospital strain which makes a lot of assumptions I'll get into later but um not only is it the case that um new cases are weighted less essentially as I've mentioned against uh, these other mes- metrics like hospital capacity and new hospitalizations based on at least one analysis of the guidelines um, be- because the, the the CDC does spell a lot of stuff out but it isn't super explicit about what its own metrics were in kind of uh, building this out other than to say that their idea, and they looked back in old data, and they tried to look at prospective data, and they, you know, were making this about being able to predict this thing that they're now most worried about, which is hospital strain mm-hmm. um, around three weeks in advance, right? Um, so, based on trying to suss that out, at least one researcher, basically, or one research team, uh, looked at this, and essentially, it appears that the signal to flip to high like this, the CDC's signal to flip to high is correlated with about uh, what would be equivalent of saying this or these counties are in the high uh, community level rating. Once you expect that based on the data that you currently have incoming, that in roughly, because it's predictive, three weeks time, you will be at the level of about 1,000 deaths per day.
3: If that were at a national scale.
2: Right. If that yeah. were at a national scale. So and the the really important thing about that to and the reason I highlight that is because one, that gives us our metric more or less of what we kind of imagine the mortality brunt of covid that the CDC is attempting to shoot for. Right. right. Which what is they're trying to normalize it's like
3: an OK daily. Right. You know,
2: that is 300. That would, you know, obviously. A thousand deaths a day, that would be 365,000 deaths a year still. Um, that is, you know, what, 10, 12 times flu deaths? Even, you know, the, the point is what the CDC has done here is to say we expect and accept ongoing death, debility, and disability from COVID, and a lot of it. A lot. Possibly, of it. you know, 300 plus thousand deaths a year, in fact. Right. These deaths and other impacts are acceptable to us so long as hospitals are not full. They can be busy. They can be witnessing a lot of death. But apparently the only level where, again, we break out the masks again, according Mm -hmm. to the CDC, is high community level. Meaning, you know, only break out the masks when the trend line shows hospitals will in a few weeks time become above capacity. If additional mitigation measures are not done, which I would like to point out, demonstrates something really interesting, which is there is an acknowledgement in this that if masks are supposed to go on when you are, you know, as it's since it's predictive, if masks are supposed to go on when you're uh, at high community level and thus you're anticipating you're going to be at about a thousand deaths a day or whatever, or, you know, um, you're going to be at like high uh, you know, mortality within three weeks, you are admitting masking is correlated with reduced hospitalization. You are admitting because we have, you know, X threshold, it's time to break out the masks specifically to reduce hospital admissions.
3: Right. That's true. Actually.
2: So, you know, again, it's back to, I, I. you know, just to reiterate like Nate's point, it's like, it really is like, Hey you've had a lot to drink before you drive home. Let me just check if the hospitals are full. That is the new <laughs> idea and so and you know, I just want to be really explicit and I'm, I'm I promise I'm rounding out my like uh my explanation of this, but like i want to be I want to be really explicit about this like this is not an answer. This is as we have said, a lie. This is the sociological production of the end of the pandemic. This is declaring mission accomplished in no uncertain terms, yeah. and the worst of it is. It is a lie that is layered. Yeah. It is, in fact, easy to explain, sort of, as we just just done. But notice, it took a while, and... It remains complicated, in part because refuting state expertise is not a simple fucking matter. And
3: we haven't even had a chance to get into what their recommendations are for each level yet. Exactly. As epidemiologist Whitney Robinson posted to Twitter, uh, she said, uh, quote, it's hard for me to come up with a reason for this laser focus on hospital strain besides the fact that overrun hospitals inconvenience wealthy connected people too." Soon they can avoid other inconveniences of the pandemic, but overrun hospitals still affect them. And I just I mean, I feel like that's like the exact takeaway from this shift is it's purely aesthetic.
0: Well, I mean, it's 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 aesthetic, but it also has something to do with the way in which death is tracked politically. Right. Deaths become problem. Deaths become problematic only when they're clogged at particular choke points that then have feedback effects on the opinions of people who really matter in our, you know, you know, political schema. Right. Um. Th- you know, a dribble uh, of I hate to use that word, but like it basically less concentrated death. Right. Death that isn't concentrated in clogging up hospitals is. I don't want to say entirely politically acceptable because I think if you look at, like, Americans' attitude – so, like, I think, like, one way of interpreting this – and I think uh, uh, Wes, uh friend, friend of the show, Wes, uh, kind of said something along along these lines, which is, you know, they've been experimenting with how just how much death Americans seem willing to tolerate <laughs> – yeah. Um, and okay, they figured out that it's kind of boundless, right? Right. Except, yeah. you know, they're maybe not willing to tolerate it if it's really interfering with, you know, the elective procedures of wealthy people. But I think it's a, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Or like, I think that this is consistent with what Wes is saying, which is that they've, what they've figured out is it's not so much important what Americans profess to believe, because as we know, Like more than half of Americans still willing to mask, still think it's a good idea to have these restrictions in place. In fact, do not like the deaths of their friends, family and neighbors (laughs) uh, to increase. People are far more humane than the uh, policy experts purport them to be. But what they've figured out is that you can have a massive level of death in the United States and no one's going to riot. Right. No one's going to no one will throw you physically or electorally out of your office. Um, and in fact, you may, by refocusing the conversation, even gain, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you'll be able to like claim some sort of, uh, you know, measly uh, policy victory. Right. And like that to me is, is what they've learned here, but it doesn't change the fact that the level of death in the United States, the life ex- level of death will go up, the life expectancy will go down. Like everything that a government is, you know, theoretically supposed to do, its whole justification for its legitimacy, uh, at its core, is you know, abandoned. Right? It's like it's almost like it. You know, if 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 the the Hobbes version of the state is to uh, you know, prevent life from being nasty, brutish and short, like this version of it is ensuring that the nastiness, brutishness and uh, short duration of life is, if it exists, not on the state's table. Right.
3: Right. Right. Well, and I, I mean, you know, it's like they've abandoned this mitigation that is extremely helpful. Right. Like the new plan basically is get vaxxed, get boosted, get tested if exposed, get therapeutics, which again, does not, not everyone can take those. And then the vulnerable are told over and over, consult your primary care provider. Right.
2: Can I also just preface what you're about to say too, with, with one really important thing, I think, which is that if you think about what focusing only on hospitalizations telegraphs, when you are making these determinations, like what B is about to say about like, uh, you know, what you're supposed to do at every level, Right. Um, if you think about what focusing on only hospitalizations telegraphs, it is that like that if you are hospitalized, you will be fine as long as there is a bed for you, which is not true. Right. It telegraphs that as and as part of that as component to that, it's part of the like only the unvaccinated are dying thing, which again not true. Fifty thousand breakthrough deaths, and then also that the burden of the all of this will not obviously fall on poorer people. And on populations that have structurally produced, enforced and policed vulnerabilities right. because capitalism is pure horror, but also because we don't have free healthcare in this country for every last fucking person. So mm-hmm. it's cold fucking comfort to hear, yeah, maybe you'll be fine as long as there's a hospital bed for you if you you don't have health care or you can't afford health insurance or the health insurance that you can afford would still leave you in fucking medical debt after a hospitalization. It's like, whatever, all of these. Ne- I just wanted to point that out to, yeah. also just because that's a, I think it's a really important component of all of this.
3: No, absolutely. And ultimately, what this shift in risk levels has done is going to mean that most people will not be masking when cases are still pretty high going forward and what that means for the vulnerable the medically vulnerable of which there are more than you know 30 million people in the United States that are that fall into this category not to count you know children under the age of 5 as ca- as total case numbers go up right the percentage of at risk people that get sick, that have long-term complications, or that are going to be hospitalized and maybe die from this are going to go up proportionally with infections, Right. right? But functionally, what this change means is that when cases are still pretty high, people are going to be walking out, walking around without masks, and the immunocompromised and the medically vulnerable, right, are going to be put in this position, right, where they are entering a more dangerous epidemiological territory, kind of just being in public space, being in social life, right? Yeah. Trying to exercise your social rights, like spending money at the grocery (laughs) store, right? Like those kind of economic things that we're told makes us citizens in the United States.
2: Right. The cool existing limitations of American citizenship, like buying purchasing things. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yes. But, uh, you know, fact of the matter is, right, like each of these risk levels have have uh, recommendations about how the immunocompromised are supposed to protect themselves. It's all mediated through behavior, personal responsibility. You know, they say, uh, like, ask people in your community to open vulnerable only hours in your business. Right. (laughs) This is completely shifted To this kind of idea of, listen, if you're immunocompromised, it's time to disclose your illness to everyone in your life and begin to start begging them to mask if your county hits medium. And that is not a provider
0: and tell them I want my MTV. (laughs) Very much what it sounded like.
3: And the CDC actually recommends that that in that medium level, right, which is above the threshold that is twice the old high level. If you're sharing a home, if you're sharing like a household with someone who is high risk, that you should be like considering masking in the home.
2: Well, to, to specify, it says of this uh, because there's this whole there's this whole chart breakdown uh, on the CDC's website that says like what you should do at every level. And it's and one of the things, yeah, as B is pointing out under medium, it says if you have household or social contact with someone at high risk for severe disease, One consider self testing to detect infection before contact, and two consider wearing a mask when indoors with them. I'm sorry. How (sighs) is someone's? How is someone who like you know sees uh, people in person for whatever work that they do, who then like goes home to a disabled or immunocompromised partner or whatever, or child or family member or or whoever, but like. So it's what that everyone should so that anyone in that situation should then, uh, you know, the person the person who's like uh, going out into the world all the time should then mask at home and constantly self test.
3: The other thing that's obviously left out here is any mention of what happens if you share a workplace with someone who's high risk. And this is something we've talked about a lot, that these recommendations, like many recent decisions on the pandemic, kind of paint a picture of a world that assumes all you know, high risk people are off somewhere in a little bubble, right? Right. And that they're just not in society. And we can allow the healthy people to go about their daily life and somehow also simultaneously protect the most vulnerable.
2: Or quite literally also are compelled to disclose their like status as immune compromised, if they even know that they are right? uh, in order to, you know, get Basic social rights.
3: Right. So, I mean, like, and there are a lot of situations where this just, it really just doesn't kind of work, right? Like, take, for example, uh, you live with a cancer patient in a four-room apartment building with only one bedroom and bathroom. Your county is low, but you work at a grocery store that is a high-risk level county. What do you do? The CDC doesn't have any recommendations for that, right? If you're going into a workplace where your coworker is a cancer patient, right, it's as if the only kind of disabled people or or medically vulnerable people that are being considered here, right, are people who live in institutional settings, where you have exposure to staff and exposure to family comes through visitation, right? And it's sort of an idea of like bringing the infection in from outside, right? And this just completely ignores the fact that, that there are more than 30 million people who fall into this category, not to mention many children under the age of five. These are your fucking neighbors. They're your friends. They are your uh, they are under no obligation to disclose their illness to you or their vulnerability. But the CDC is saying that policy now is that their protection depends on their disclosure. And that's ultimately fucked up. And so it's not until you get to the high level of transmission, which again, is this sort of new metric that is just way higher than anyone that we've seen before and throughout the pandemic, that the CDC starts recommending mask wearing, right? And that that fundamentally, like will create the America that people like David Leonhardt have been asking for, but it will not fulfill these promises that the Biden administration says that it's made towards the most vulnerable to protect them.
2: It enshrines personal responsibility as as the central public health, which, you know, it has been the central public health initiative and prerogative of the American state since the beginning of the fucking pandemic. But... One really important component of this that I would like to get into before we uh, finish this out, maybe as like a a final thing to kind of get into is that there's all this language that we referenced earlier about uh, these new guidelines, which are about how this is about acknowledging and moving to essentially a new phase where we're going to focus our protections, if you will, we're going to focus on Uh, protecting the vulnerable specifically and that we have we you know quote unquote have the tools to move to that stage now where you know we don't have to where i guess we don't have to be doing not i guess but where the the message is that we don't have to be masking in most situations and instead it's kind of on the vulnerable to protect themselves and we'll do some things to uh to do that but i think we would be remiss not to talk about a document that was released the day before these guidelines were changed, which is the Biden administration's I don't even want to say plan.
3: They called it a fact sheet
2: there. Well, it's a fact sheet about, about their intentions their announcement and announcement that they right. will
3: address the needs. So it's for it's the the administration announces new actions to address the needs of people with disabilities and older re- adults in response to and recovery from COVID-19. So it's basically their plan to make a plan announce that they're going to have a plan to protect the vulnerable well i mean
2: it it outlines specific actions that they are saying that that is what they're going to take to protect the vulnerable and it's important i think to get into these because they are just woefully inadequate Inadequate. they are they're they're worse than we made fun of on a a previous episode uh and also in uh b and i's piece for the new inquiry which is called the beyblade strategy um, we made fun of, for instance, like Lena Wen and David Leonhart's uh multi-point plans for the immunocompromised and the and protecting the vulnerable, right? Um, and for them being just saying like, oh, you know, we'll we'll do testing or or something, uh etc. Et And this is actually even more inadequate than those. Yeah,
3: absolutely. So the plan claims to be addressing the needs of people with disabilities. And in the context of significantly loosening mask guidelines, it really doesn't do anything. Right. Um, What they say is they start out by congratulating themselves for their sort of fact that they've been listening to the disabled community, which, you know, you hear all the time.
0: AKA manufacturing consent. Is that what they mean?
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, they start off with uh, congratulating themselves, as, as I said, and then they get into some specifics. And the plan covers schools, accessible testing guidance and some hotline programs to help make home tests that exist more accessible. Um, some promises are made to incentivize test manufacturers to make more accessible packaging. And they talk about a couple plans to distribute masks. And that's it. I'm not even joking. Yeah, um, That's it. So the first recommendation is that the Biden administration promises to, quote, keep vulnerable students safe and learning in person. And the way that they plan to do that, they say, is by having the Department of Education match guidance to the cdc so God. now that the cdc has rolled back <laughs> ma- masking mandates right this does jack shit to protect the disabled children that they are well, you know worse claiming than that
2: it, it kind of puts more disabled children actually further in harm's way not to mention any vulnerable
3: employees of the school system i, on mean, top I have of to that. say
2: my favorite uh one of this is the second bullet point, which is expand the Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Community Living's disability information and access line in addition, uh, in other words, a hotline yeah. uh, to support people with disabilities who fit who face difficulty using or cannot use a self test. So it basically their second point is we will make or expand we will expand an existing hotline to offer information on how to use your pretty inaccessible COVID-19 home test, which is, to be fair, that ne- should have been done. I yeah. don't think that that should be the second bullet point on your plan to protect the Especially vulnerable. when
3: the thing opens with congratulating themselves on having stood that up in the first place. Yeah. Simply to say we will expand it, to me, does not really um, deal with the fact that these tests sh- shouldn't have been approved with inaccessible instructions in the fucking first place. Yeah. But, you know, essentially what... The situation with testing is is that the testing uh, interventions that they say that they're offering, right, are really all in the realm of accessible packaging, which, as already saying, like needed, super needed, overdue, right? But fundamentally does not address the number one inaccessibility issue with lateral flow home testing, which is cost.
2: well, and what is testing itself supposed to, like, if it's just if if by the new guidelines, right, it, the, the assumption is just the virus is fucking everywhere. And, you know, again, living with the virus is just is uh, <laughs> just that it's like, you know, having the virus as, you know, your your constant threat and fucking roommate or whatever, then, you know, what? Like, what is te- what? How, how is test? Like, again, I, I don't know. I, I think I said this of the Leonhardt stuff and, and, the, and the when thing testing is not a plan. No testing testing is not not a plan plan. for prevention or mitigation it's like testing is something that you know maybe can be part of a
3: plan right no and so ultimately like what you have is you have these sort of four points that they make about improving test accessibility you know compelling uh future approvals to have more accessible packaging and again this is a big issue for people like me who are like low vision visually impaired or people who are intellectually disabled like you know it's like if you mess up these tests, it's very easy to mess up these tests if you're not blind, right? Like try doing it blind. Good luck.
0: Yeah, I I, I personally, I can attest to having <laughs> done <that. laughs> Yeah,
3: and not all disabled people have someone at home to do the test with them or for them, right? So, you know, these are needed things, but these by no means are public health interventions at the level of making some kind of real commitment towards protecting the population. This is covering their asses on stuff they should have done on day one by March 5th, 2021. Yeah. So, you know, the final portion of the White House statement concerns masks and a plan to send out masks via Health and Human Services. The HHS department says that they're going to partner with all of these sort of community programs and local organizations and pharmacies and, you know, all these sort of variety of public private local partnerships. Right. And they're going to distribute masks to those community partners and organizations and Those organizations will distribute them to high-risk people. Now, there is no discussion of any financial support to any of these organizations for helping them do this distribution, right? This is simply HHS saying, we're going to give everyone masks by sending it to a third party who is then responsible for getting it to you. It's absolute... You know, just complete sort of abdication there of actual follow through, right?
2: Well, well, I mean, and you know, whatever you could do that, but also do uh, like one could imagine. Obviously, doing that could be beneficial, but also this this goes for like the whole rest of the population too. There are all these sorts of ways that you could have been distributing masks this whole fucking time, not just through community organizations. Um, but also just, again, you know, mailing people a box of masks every month, literally everybody. And that would obviously help, especially if you're mailing them to everybody, it would help disabled and immunocompromised people because like people would like people all over would have masks and you could and they could like fucking use them and that protect that like if everyone wears masks, like helps everybody when we're out in society or whatever, but the thing i think that gives me the most pause about this is knowing especially that one of the voices in their ear frankly about what is needed to do uh about like you know towards declarations like this there is for example you know one of the people in these meetings is someone who was basically uh for a long time running a mask distribution program for disabled people that was contingent on them proving that they were on ssi which essentially means like you know de facto means testing the distribution of these things right, right so right. it's you know that and that's not to say that that's like going to be a universal problem i'm just saying that like that's that is unfortunately a mindset that could be then applied to how these ultimately get
0: distributed and and th- and that's sort of a broader argument that i've has been made to me about you know why not just send these masks to everybody is you know the argument that like well you know, masks and, and, and the entire like testing apparatus is so polarized that so many, you know, that it basically only calcifies people's, you know, a lot of people's opposition and then people are just going to throw them away. And then it's like, you know, inefficiently or inadequately like distributing resources to people who need them. I'm like, (laughs) no, no, the point is you make far more than you need. You use the power of government to compel the production of more than you need. And you just become willing to take that risk and to innovate. It's like just, just because there are a lot of sort of many hands of the state like out there who can distribute these things doesn't mean you shouldn't use the power of the state to like, you know, innovate a little bit in terms of uh, the way that you are using government to like provide people with things. The only Mm -hmm. thing that like government has sort of reliably done that you didn't have to like request or like sign up for is like cutting the check Right. And and why did they do that? Because they needed to stimulate demand. Right. If they don't need to stimulate demand or like save the market from, you know, utterly crashing, they become really reticent to just send you something because you happen to live um, in the United States. <laughs> uh, they're like, hey, you know what? Maybe you got to work for it. Maybe You got
2: to ask for it. It's like <laughs> no. Nah, if you want people to have it, just send them. The what if we did thing. a means test and let's say a uh, requirement to work?
3: I mean, honestly, you can't make me resent something faster than basically forcing me to buy it for myself when I really don't have the money for it. And I think that, like, a lot of these conceptions of, like, people's, you know, just what we kind of chalk up to being kind of like almost uh, this inherent human reaction to masks, right? People are just they hate it. They're repulsed by it. They just can't stand it like constitutionally as a human being. Like, I really wonder how much of that kind of reaction to masks and resistance to sort of uptake and wearing them as signs of solidarity or for your neighbors or whatever. Like, I wonder how much of that actually has to do with sort of resentment by being told to like actually have to buy them, right, to have to pay for these things out of pocket. If you don't trust the government, the government turning to you and saying, "Okay, now spend like, 30 to 40 dollars a month sometimes depending on what kind of masks you're getting right like on buying these masks right it's much easier to say fuck that i don't believe in this right Right. than it is to sort of say okay like i really don't trust these people but i'm gonna like put out this much money every month to comply right like that well, doesn't seem logical at
0: all
2: and now the i mean and thus the you know now now classic framework of the uh genre of political reply guy who is like oh you you think that mask mandates were good so what you think that people should just continue buying masks forever like no no well, you're no. like first of all you're almost there like You've almost figured it out. No, I do not, in fact, think that people should continue buying masks forever. I do think it's a responsibility of the state, especially considering that when, I don't know, the state has, as we have documented fastidiously over the last two years, the state has been a primary driver through politically motivated decisions of the fucking ongoing spread and burden of the fucking coronavirus on again not just vulnerable people but every everybody you know like yes i think that there is a you know a responsibility uh here and that i think should include things like if you want to do like i don't know if they want to say fucking let it rip which they are saying they are openly saying as we've been talking about and we have you know been writing about like if you want to say let it rip and you are pretending to propose a plan like here's a real plan Medicare for all, mm-hmm. a national health service, basically, box of masks and I don't know, food or whatever, and t- and tests every month dramatically expand sd ssdi and lo- like the social security disability insurance program and uh you know yeah paid leave all of all Actual of this direct
3: stuff, monetary support to family is not couched as a fucking tax credit expand for
2: public housing yeah like all i'm saying is right. look but if because
0: i mean because the, the the effects of this strategy if they're gonna get tracked or clocked in any way if if they are which i think is you know A lot of the thing that's happening here is sort of the deconstruction of that apparatus that was supposed to do that. But if they're going to get like, we know that like the the one thing that's going to happen is like death will increase, severe disease is going to you know. But the but the thing that's not going to be registered as being an effect of this strategy is the way in which all kinds of other burdens on individuals are going to increase, and they're like they're not going to take responsibility for that, but that is an effect yeah like that's right. just like unmistakably so. And so, like, yeah, why well, this is like if 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 people want to shift the conversation to, okay, what is like you know, a pandemic kind of prepared society or pan, you know, a pandemic resilient society looks like, and you don't want to talk about Medicare for all as a baseline, you're not really serious about it. like yeah. you're not actually concerned about it. Like you do, in fact, think that the condition that we were in, prior to the pandemic, was basically okay. Um, and, you know, essentially that would land us right back where we are now. You would say that there's essentially like nothing really that different than you would do. Right. Yeah.
3: And the fact of the matter is, is that like, let's say for example, this is just maybe the final point I'll make on this, right? For all these people that keep saying one way masking works, I really don't think they fundamentally understand how impoverished people tend to be if they have a chronic illness or disability, I don't think they understand how much of your monthly income ends up going towards, you know, supporting the the financial and frankly toxic financial aspects of maintaining, you know, a life that is quote unquote diseased in the United States, you know based on 2019 census data, right, the average income, average household income for people with a work limiting disability was around $20,000, sometimes up to $30,000, $40,000 less per year than a household that doesn't have a member with a work limiting disability. And this is like a serious barrier to disabled people accessing their economic, social rights during normal times, Mm -hmm. right? This is 2019 census data. This is pre-COVID, right? As we have entered COVID, the cost of disabled and immune compromised and medically vulnerable and elder life, right, has only gone up because of NPIs. And that is seriously fucked up. I agree with those critiques that it's fucked up, but it is also really fucked up to ask the vulnerable who, again, are statistically way more impoverished than the general population. To ask the vulnerable to bear that economic cost alone is what calls for one-way masking works are saying, right? And that is really important to understand because a lot of people have been throwing around, well, you can't call for NPIs because it's a burden on the on low-income people. It's a burden on the working class. We can't, you know, we can't call for all these restrictions. And it's like, well, what, you know, by saying one-way masking works, are you saying like all, all people who will need to one-way mask are somehow not in the working class? They're not poor too, right. right? Are they a separate class to you? Are they a surplus class ultimately that you don't consider part of regular society? Because that kind of sounds like what you're saying to me, frankly. You know what I mean? And, and ultimately, like whether we have a right to social life in the United States, like legally, we all do. Right. But it's always predicated on economic participation. And when the CDC guidelines explicitly say that like people who are high risk during certain levels of risk under their new framework should consider not going in public during peak hours. yeah, Right. That's a fundamental Violation of the social rights of the medically vulnerable, right?
2: Full stop. Yeah. Full
3: stop. You cannot interpret that any other way. And so is the declaration that one way masking works because one way masking is an economic burden, right? And it is unsolidaristic and it has class and economic implications beyond what I think most people can even imagine because most people do think. Of people who are vulnerable as surplus. They don't think of us as part of society. Right. And like, if we're going to live with COVID, that's got to fucking change. Okay. Because this level of death, it's unacceptable. We have to reject it. It's not fated. It's not destiny. We don't have to do things this way. You know, we can admit we did a mistake. We made a mistake. We responded to the pandemic wrong to shift strategies, right? We've got time. Cases are getting lower. Now is not the time to pat ourselves on the back and say, job well done. Let's put this in the past, yeah. right? We are leaving so many people behind. And the truth of the matter is, is that during normal times, the economy moves on without many of us. But right now, that's particularly deadly and dangerous. And everyone pushing to sort of normalize these removals of of masking as a as a sign of solidarity but also as a meaningful mitigation right they're accelerating that at the end of the day and it's you know it's your neighbors it's your friends it's your family it's the people that you love it's people that you have no idea who are all around you at all times who have no obligation to disclose their condition to you right who you are fucking over yeah right now So that's my last point that I wanted to leave us with.
2: I have absolutely nothing to add to that. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, (laughs)
0: we'll just, we'll have to excerpt that. That's a good,
2: yeah, the, I'm the only, actually the only thing that I can say to that really is, I think it's really important what you pointed out that these were the conditions were and have been the conditions before. That is why, I mean, I know that you know we have many new listeners. I know that a lot of people might not know, for example, that we started Death Panel before COVID. Like, before, yeah. we have been talking about this for a long time, and the things that B was outlining are not only in many ways why we do this show. It is also really the heart of what we were trying. What B and I tried to get to in Health Communism, which is coming out in October. Is is literally this definition and delineation and our sort of public imagination of what the surplus class is, and so and what
3: we're supposed to do with them?
2: Yeah, so I have, them. I have nothing to add to that except for extremely well said. And uh, if you are interested in that and and that moved you as it did me, please continue to listen, support the show if you can, and if you want to read our book, pre-order it.
3: All right. Um, well, I think we'll leave it there for today. To support the show and get access to all of our weekly bonus episodes, like our episode from earlier this week with Jules Gil-Peterson, which again is a fucking must listen, Um, become a patron at patreon.com slash Pod. It also helps to support the work that we do here on the show. It helps us take time to do research for stuff like this. So we appreciate it. We could not do any of this without our patrons. So thank you. To help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, pre-order Health Communism. This is already in my first book, so pre-orders help a lot, and we appreciate it. And of course, you can follow us at deathpanel underscore. And as always, Medicare for all now, solidarity forever. Stay alive another week.
1: Love Setting. you going. Love Setting you going. And you're going, I've set you going, like a fat gold watch, our voices echo, our voices echo, our voices echo, you statue, in a drafty museum, your nakedness, shadows our safety, We stand round, like as walls. Echo. Our voice is echo. Our voice is echo. You shut you.